S in Hell, a look back at Saturday Night Live with your hosts, Matt and Keith. Brought to you by Lion's Den Audio Theater. Like and subscribe to Lion's Den Audio Theater for more Lion's Den goodness. And here are your hosts, Keith and Matt. Saturday Night Live, Season 3, Episode 9, starring Steve Martin, originally aired on January 21st, 1978. Welcome to SN Hell. My name is Keith. With me, as always, my good buddy Matt. Hey, Keith. Hey, Matt. What's new tonight? True story for you in the thousands. Right now, I have a cigarette. It is in two pieces, and I am trying to uh, piece it back together using a rolling paper. Attaboy. That's an old-fashioned transplant is what we used to call them. Going poorly. I'm terrible at it. <laughs> this Saturday night in SN Hell, joining us in the third chair, our wonderful third chair who has been... Uh, with us not that long ago, here just a couple weeks back for the uh, Buck Henry Leon Redmone Little Chocolate Donuts episode, it's Adrian. Hello, Adrian. Hey, guys. Glad to be back. Couldn't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's get right into it, actually. Steve Martin is back for his fourth time. His latest album, uh, comedy album, Let's Get Small, was doing really well. I covered that the last time he was here. Musical guests tonight, we have Randy Newman making his uh, second appearance on the show, third if you count his uh, appearance at the New Orleans special. He had released his uh, album Little Criminals the previous September. We've also got the Dirt Band, previously known and later known as the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Quite a lineup tonight. Now, Matt, I, Steve Martin, Randy Newman... Don't know how you feel about the Dirt Band. Um, what was your initial reaction there? I mean, it was fine. Uh, I, I, it was like, okay, I'm going to be open-minded. I like Steve Martin okay, but I haven't, like, not everything has been a hit for me by any means with Steve Martin. Uh, but sure. it's gen- generally okay. Yeah, about the Dirt Band, though. Mm, yeah. And obviously, I fucking hate Randy Newman. <laughs> no surprise there. <laughs> totally fair. Yeah. <laughs> So just to review our Steve Martin episodes, the first one got that uh, was Steve Martin with Kinky Friedman. We rated that one a 5.7 out of 10. Our second one, Steve Martin and the Kinks, we gave an 8. The one at the beginning of this season with Jackson Brown, we did not enjoy at all. Uh, we gave it a 4.3. So uh, Steve Martin, the legendary host, has some catching up to do, at least as far as our chronology is concerned. He's not even my favorite regular. Buck Henry is. Well, Buck Henry's mine as well, yeah. We got a message via Twitter, and it's just a quick question, actually. It pertains to scores. This one comes from Paul. It's mainly for Matt and I, but uh, Adrian, feel free to chime in. Basically, the question is, how do you grade the uh, the episodes? Um and do you, I, I, I followed up and the message I got back was like, do you have like a checklist you go down or is it just an overall feeling? For me, it's kind of a checklist, really. I go through, does that hit the right spots? And then there's kind of like a little bonus. It's not a full on metric like your teachers would have, but uh, it's kind of like, did this make me laugh? Was it smart? Was it funny? Was it timely? That's how I do it. I, I don't think you do it the same way, Matt, do you? No, Paul, I, I literally, before I give my score... I, I I ramble it out. I talk it out here on the spot. I, uh-huh. I verbalize everything I'm considering. And uh, yeah, there's no, I don't, I don't take a single note. I uh, <laughs> I don't have any paperwork at all. The only papers in front of me are zigzags. Yeah. I'm an off the top of the head kind of guy. Otherwise, I just don't enjoy myself. And I mean, I do this for me, even though it is a public service. 
<laughs> I think one thing that's fair to say the difference between you and I is very much, I think you weight music higher than I do. Yes, absolutely. Update plays in heavier for you as well. You know what? Those are excellent points because those are extremely uh, iconic parts of the show for me. Like Saturday Night Live, you got sketches, music, Weekend Update. Yeah. And so the sketches I will all consider together and the music and Weekend Update, uh, I, I always consider quite heavily. You're right. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think I focus a tad more on the writing than than Matt does. If I can see, I think if I can recognize a script is good but pulled off poorly. So I'm really interested to get to a period of time, and I won't identify what period it is when the writing sucks but the music is awesome. So I think things are going to flip. Adrian, any yeah. thought from you on 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 grading and scoring, or is it are you more like me, more like Matt, or? I, I kind of go from my heart. I, my mind is blown that Matt takes no notes. I've got like four pages here just from mm-hmm. this episode um, so that I know who was in what sketch and, and whatnot and how I felt about it as I was watching it and things like that. And then basically at the end, I just kind of think about how my overall feeling on things mm-hmm. was and arbitrarily pick a number that goes with that feeling. Yeah. No, and, and I'll be honest, there's, there, there is the X factor. For me, and sometimes the X factor is a big chunk of the score, and sometimes it's a very small chunk of the score. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think. I mean, I have my little check marks, but all things considered, it's not. It's not a science for any of us. Nor should it. Yeah, you're right, and I don't. I mean, I don't take notes. That's true, but I mean, Keith's are so exceptionally detailed, and he goes over the sketches so well that I really, you know, he makes me feel like I don't have to. That's fair. I, I get that. Thanks for the message, Paul. And I'm you can get us at SNHell1 at Twitter. I didn't pick that name. It was kind of the one we kind of got stuck with. But yeah, drop us a message. Leave a comment. There have been a lot of comments. We're doing what we can. And uh, we're having fun doing it. I also should mention, Paul, that I watched the episode as close to recording as I can manage, uh, which is also very important to me. And the further out that is, like, I have taken notes before. If I have to watch it, like, the day before, I'll write some shit down. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's a little bit of how we make the sausages, I guess. So the cast is back from Christmas break. It is January 21st, 1978. Um, And we have two new writers joining the staff. First off is Brian Doyle Murray, um, big name in Second City, older brother of Bill. A successful writer, comic actor to this day, still quite busy. He wrote for the other Saturday Night Live show, the Howard Cosell one, uh, wrote for SCTV, of course. He he later went on to uh, appear. I mean, people know him from Caddyshack and movies like Scrooged, uh, Christmas Vacation, Wayne's World. Younger fans know him as the voice of the Flying Dutchman on SpongeBob. Do you know Brian Doyle Murray at all? Yeah, only from uh, from his, you know, for his famous brother and in various supporting bits and comedy shows and movies. Yeah, yeah. And there's a third brother. Well, there's actually, I think, 12 kids in the family or something like that. The third brother, Joel, was on uh, Mad Men as Freddie Rumson. I know him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I first saw him on a sitcom with Jay Thomas and Annie Potts called Love and War. And I was like, this guy's good. And then, you know, 20 years later, find out it's Bill Murray's younger brother. I forgot Jaden Thomas existed. <laughs> yeah, he passed away a few years back. What? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And our second new writer, Don Novello. So Don Novello was an advertising copywriter. He wrote a book definitely way ahead of its time called The Laszlo Letters. And it was basically like misinformed letters to famous people like 
you know, misunderstanding a, a quote or a fact about them and asking them to uh, to explain. Um, he also wrote for the Smothers Brothers and uh, went on to write for a lot of other things, became sort of the head honcho at SCTV for a while, appeared in Godfather 3. Do you know the name Don Novello? It sounded vaguely familiar and probably because of SCTV. Okay. His alter ego, most people know better, it's uh, Father Guido Sarducci. Oh, okay, I know who he is, yeah. And Father Guido is one of my favorite characters. Uh, I will be gushing when we get to him. Yeah, um, also that week, um, Steve mentions it. The, there was a huge snowstorm hit in New York. They did miss out on some rehearsal time. I mean, half of them lived in their offices anyway, so I don't know how much it would affect that show compared to another show. But uh, but yeah, they were hit with 20 inches or 50 centimeters in New York City. And uh, in another two weeks, there's an even bigger storm that he hits uh, New England. But that's the weather report for that. So there was truly a, quite, a, quite a storm that hit the previous day. So we go to our cold open. We have the title card disclaimer. Bruce Jenner wins the javelin catch. And it's a happy image of, uh, of Jenner impaled by the javelin. I got a kick out of that one. We are now going to the State of the Union address from 1978. This was written by uh, Franken and Davis. And uh, Jimmy Carter comes out to the podium. Uh, when I first saw it, I, I immediately thought of the uh, later we'll see it with Michael J. Fox and Dana Carvey, the uh, Operation Desert Storm, George Bush thing. Anyway, this is clips from the actual State of the Union intercut with Ackroyd as Carter and Bill Murray and John Belushi are in the background as Walter Mondale and Tip O'Neill. Carter talks about how great things are going as Murray nods off and Belushi drinks booze. Then we see like it, more random clips of Congress people watching the actual Carter address with the Chiron that says what they're thinking or what they've just been doing. It's, it's actually pretty funny stuff. Murray and Belushi start playing the uh, arm punches game and then a game of cards. After a couple more clips of some Congress folks, Carter gives us the live from New York. I thought this was really funny and it was uh, it was good. I really I, I enjoyed this both, you know, what Carter was doing, what Ackroyd was doing and what was going on behind him. It was almost like two kind of funny sketches in one for me. Yeah, the actual images from Congress were actually they were really funny and the chirons were were great like thinking about snow tires got me because that's me when i'm in an important meeting i'm thinking about what i need to do at home and guy wearing his new shirt of course he is he got it for christmas he looks so cranky with that new shirt on but he probably got it for christmas <laughs> it's a great cold open you know I, I always liked dan's jimmy carter and belushi made me laugh a couple of times but uh i'm not on the boat with you i, I didn't think it was funny i actually thought it was quite wretched mm. uh i didn't i didn't think the chirons were funny and i thought it was it was too i don't know i was kind of i found it kind of boring and you know the, the the cutaways to the gags and it was awfully topical which is you know fine that's going to get worse with the cold opens and the topical humor uh because we know weekend updates sometimes suffers from that and we're mm -hmm. you know we're watching this in 2023 anyway uh, i didn't see what you guys saw i didn't like it to tell we now go to the monologue so steve martin comes down huge applause he does note the uh, snowstorm and he said we didn't get to rehearse but that's never stopped us before martin notices that 50 bucks is missing from his pocket he gets quite angry and he calls Belushi up on stage to accuse him, yells at him, kicks him off the stage. Martin then puts the his hand in his other pocket and realizes he uh, he kind of drops the subject. He does a bit about pouring water on the ground, electrocuting himself on the mic. 
They add this neat visual change to the camera, and he gives us a way to get out of terrible situations. I really enjoyed this monologue as far as Martin's monologue thus far. Now, I haven't rewatched all the other ones, but as far as like his monologues thus far, I think this was his best of the batch. I like the way it started. I thought he had like a really good energy for, for coming out and just being all Steve Martin. The John Belushi part, I felt like it went on a bit too long there. I like Steve Martin's energy uh, just fine. You know, he always brings it. He always seems excited and effervescent and all that. I just thought the the act was a little hacky. I, I did not like the electrocution bit. I thought that was weak. And, the, you know, the how to get out of things. It was like, it was really B-grade stand-up. And, uh, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't dig it. That'd be a hot take for this episode that you consider it B-grade stand-up. People will come down on you for that one. <laughs> I mean, that's okay. It wasn't particularly, it's, it's all like all he did was go out there and do his like physical shtick, mm-hmm. you know, with him about, it's all about the herky jerky movements and the, you know, the big shit eating grin on his face. But, yeah. uh, you, you see it enough and you start to become familiar with the act and you're like, okay, I know the act. Mm-hmm. Uh, then once you see it enough times, you start looking for the jokes a little more Yeah, uh, because yeah, I get it. You're Steve Martin. You're funny. It's he's relying so exclusively on his delivery. He, he lost me after the 50 bucks and the, and the electrocution as well. We now have a re-airing of one of my favorite commercials. Matt, you and I have seen it, so I'd love to hear just from Adrian on this one. Swill, Bill Murray drinking mineral water taken from Lake Erie. Uh, like I said, one of my favorites in, in a classic highlight reel bit. Yeah, it was great. I was I was totally on board with it, and then they started to pour the water, and I was also just having a snack while I was watching it, and I was just like, oh, oh this is <laughs> disgusting. I even drew a gross face in my, uh, in my little notes here. So... <laughs> It was it was beautiful, but also disgusting and very American made in a gross kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. the whole part about um, not just fancy European countries can have these nice mineral waters. Here's our American made mineral water. Rather, rather hideous, eh? So she's like, it's just so gross. We now go to Mystery of Bigfoot. So John Belushi and Gilda Radner are a couple living in a woodsy cabin in the Pacific Northwest. Steve Martin comes in as Ranger McConnell, and he's trying to evacuate the area because there's multiple Bigfoot sightings. And he talks about how people are finding Bigfoot tracks around, and they can only ever see Bigfoot through a blizzard. Belushi and Gilder are completely nonplussed, and it's revealed that both of them have huge feet. There's a few jokes about uh, about their huge feet, uh, like the wood stove uh, was given to them in their uh, given to Gilda in her stocking. Belushi puts on his big fur coat and goes out to cut some wood. Nobody puts two and two together, and Martin shoots out the window after he confuses Belushi for Bigfoot and shoots him with a tranquilizer dart. This was silly as hell, but I thought it was the good silly. I don't remember ever seeing this sketch before, and the twist really hit me in the right spot. I thought there were good performances all around, ridiculously funny, but ridiculous more than anything else. I was weak when Belushi put his feet up on the table and you saw that he has these gigantic feet. And then when Gilda moves and she's got them too, it was great. I also loved her giant knitting needles. I don't know if they were supposed to be giant, but loved that. I did like how they kept going back to 
Moose Creek and mm-hmm. Otter Valley. Otter and Valley. Like, the right kind of silly. I don't think it has to be a, a guilty pleasure. It knows it's silly. It, it's, it actually reminded me of like late 80s, early 90s Saturday Night Live with its uh, silliness. The, there was something just so absurd about it. You're like, oh my God, come on. <laughs> but but they, they, they play it so straight. And, you know, Steve Martin with the place names was really good. Everybody was really good in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're right when <laughs> He put his shoes up. I was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake!" <laughs> like, it was it was really good. I I liked it a lot. We now go to the Festrunk Brothers, and this was written by. Usually, these were written by Dan Aykroyd, Steve Martin, and Marilyn Miller. Second appearance of two Czechoslovakian brothers who have recently come to America. They are in their apartment, and they say there's two swinging foxes coming to their pad tonight. Now, Org has submitted their names into a computer dating service and has matched them with two women. Garrett pops by as their swinging American friend, Cliff, and Cliff invites them to a party. They say they can't go because they have two swinging American foxes coming, but they invite him to have some drinks at their swinging bachelor apartment bar. Lorraine and Jane enter as Bodka and Vobsina Cherbu, two Soviet female versions of the fest trunks, essentially. The, the brothers are disappointed that they are not American women. Belushi enters as the women's uncle, Krabosh, who is very much like an older fest drunk. The women see Garrett and they lose all interest in the brothers and they physically knock him onto a chair and start to undress him. I much preferred this one to the first uh, fest drunk brothers sketch. I loved everything about this. The wordplay was great. The guys were great. The women were excellent. Garrett and Belushi were awesome. Yeah, I just really enjoyed this one. And and I have some questions as to why, but I'd like to hear what you guys uh, might have to say on this one first. The, the the two wild and crazy guys were kind of a, I guess, a meme in my house growing up. So I have a very soft spot for the wild and crazy guys. Um, they went on the computer to find foxes. Um, yeah, I loved it. But I may have a whole bunch of nostalgia tinting my view i definitely liked it more than the first one as well the first one was some sort of weird beta version it felt like and this this seems to arrive as a fully developed sketch and idea few things i would note uh the just the again such physical comedy uh from steve martin in this uh his gyrations his walking it's all very funny he's so good at it the voices are terrific you're right uh jane especially i thought was uh really good and just so uncharacteristic of jane to be in this role i i really enjoyed the the awe uh, at uh computer dating in 1978 like it's just what we do now yeah well i wanted to ask you like the last sketch was the brothers basically you know uh, approaching two women in the basement of a of a apartment building and really coming on strong does the women being the ones coming on strong in this one or the fact that it it appears to be somewhat consensual does that make it sit easier for you because it certainly did for me good segue uh these are extremely rapey characters and uh you know the the women that showed up from wherever they were uh they showed up were also extremely rapey i mean they kind of attacked garrett and uh were all up in his business pulling off his clothes and just to double back for a second there was a lot of weird black jokes i thought 
when Garrett was there. And uh, I was wondering when I was watching them, I'm like, is this fly today? Like, you know, he keeps calling him soul brother and he looks at his hand after he uh, high fives him and or shakes his hand or whatever the fuck they did. I, I remember Dan looking at his hand. Anyway, I, I, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of racial humor here that would be extremely touchy today, but maybe you get away with it. But I don't think in general you get away with these rapey-ass characters today. And they're funny, and they do it great, and I know it's 1978, and we can look at it through the lens of history, etc., etc., etc. But, yeah, I like it. But I think there's problems with it. Well, yeah, there's obviously going to be problems with a, a scene like that written in the 70s. Hell, there's problems with scenes like that written in the 90s and 2000s. But I think it was done with heart weirdly i hate to be defending a rapey sketch i think i disagree i don't see any heart in this sketch at all i think these are guys there's it's physical comedy almost exclusively and, and they're doing their voices and you know that shies away from the fact that if these were two guys from chicago that this would just be uh a this weird little rapey sketch like put these guys from chicago so all they got the humor here is in their voices and their gyrations i don't think the humor is in them pretty much wanting to sexually assault people because they're from europe yeah i actually think this is quite heartless i disagree completely no that's fair it's a strange one for me in the middle here because i if there was a fest drunk son i worked with him and he talked like that. He didn't wear the loud clothing, but he was very interested in, in women all the time. And his his diction was like that. Not as uh, certainly not as character as cartoony, but uh, very, very strong. Like, you know, there would be just weird words thrown in that made sense, but were so superfluous that you'd wonder why they were even there. We now go to the Dirt Band, formerly the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. They were an LA, uh, LA-based country rock band with a very fluid membership over the years. Still together today, in, in some in in a modified lineup, heavily modified lineup. Um, the, to me, they're best known for their cover of Mister Bojangles from 1970. At this point in time, their last album was called Dirt, Silver, and Gold, released in 1976, something of a greatest hits album. The next album they'd release is The Dirt Band in 1978. The connection here is that John McEwen, member of the band, was the one who taught Steve Martin how to play banjo. So they're, they're, they're friends for quite many years, and Steve Martin mentions that in his introduction. They perform uh, On the Loose. It's due to be released on their next studio album, which, uh, of course, is The Dirt Band. I did not like the first part of this song. It was way too easy listening for me. It was like uber mellow James Taylor. Did not enjoy it at all. Really enjoyed the instrumental bit at the end. I just thought, I, I was watching it. I was like, okay, this sounds very generic, and these musicians are not generic. Um, and I wrote, these guys are too good for the first half of this song. So uh, I kind of, I have to pass on On the Loose, but uh, I, I liked the little bit at the end. I love the nitty gritty dirt band. <laughs> My, my note here is that it fits better with 70s coolness than previous musical guests I've seen. But that may be my view of 70s coolness. What, what an astonishing statement. I, uh, this, this, this is really 70s AM rock. I, I think uh, when I think 70s cool, I, uh, it's more along the lines of maybe uh, disco and punk and uh, things like that. Not something you'd hear on fucking cjcb it's uh <laughs> these are proficient players but 
this is shitty music. It's it's really soft. You're right, Keith. It was really soft, Rocky. And yeah, they're they're all perfectly capable performers. Uh, but it doesn't mean they're out here playing the classics. I thought the songs were crappy. I didn't like it. And that's exactly how I thought that segment would go. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. <laughs> We now go to Body Floss, and this is a stand-up ad. Uh, first there was soap. Steve Martin is the host of the uh, ad, or the pitch man. First there was soap, then there was the washcloth, and now there's Body Floss. So this is a large string of dental floss that comes out of an equally large dental floss holder. And you can use it to clean your body. Jane and Bill Murray start by demonstrating. Is it Jane first or Gilda? Gilda. Gilda. Gil- Gilda and Bill Murray demonstrate it in a bathroom, and then uh, Garrett and Jane are magically there too and they i guess they all shower together and it says no body is really clean without it this wouldn't be top top tier commercial for me but this was pretty friggin' funny and the randomness of like murray getting into the shower and then garrett getting into the shower and it's implied jane was in there too i really got a kick out of this uh like i said not top top tier for me but pretty darn enjoyable yeah when garrett came out of the shower too that that was what did it and just they're just using a big piece of rope and like you should use that to clean yourself, but it would be pretty fun. Yeah, the, the, this was this was silly fun. It didn't overstay its welcome by any means. The cast seems to be having, especially Gilda, is having a lot of fun with it. And Jane's hair just looks incredible. Uh, I don't, you know, we've we've I've really kind of not mentioned in a while, but I I love Jane Curtin. I think she's gorgeous. There, I, I feel like in season three especially, it's really been. There's been a weird, almost like the the hierarchy of the cast has been shuffled slightly. I don't know what's going on there. I should read live from New York again. Uh, But anyway, I feel like we get less Jane these days. And uh, I felt this was a little old Jane for me. Yeah, maybe not this season, but the last few shows, it definitely feels like Jane has been less present. And she's such a good straight woman. Yeah. We now go to Weekend Update. Jane Curtin welcomes Fred Silverman as the new NBC president, and he will certainly play into the show history quite a bit in a couple of years' time. Dan throws to Jane to talk about the snow. She doesn't immediately, goes into it in a bit. There was a sight gag. The king of Saudi Arabia and the emir of Kuwait had their beards epoxied together. Picture of Leo the Lion, the MGM Lion, picked up on a drunken disorderly in Los Angeles. Jane runs down the Carter family problems, which I think every one of them was true, or at least alleged heavily. And then we get kind of an iconic moment here. We have Roseanne Rosanna Dana making her official debut. She appeared in the Charles Grodin episode in the Higher Than Competent. It wasn't the same type of deal, same voice, but she didn't have the name. Roseanne is doing a response to uh, Richard Fetter about having no heat, and this eventually goes into a bit about eating gross food. Jane interrupts her because she's making uh, she's making her sick. Uh, Roseanne gives her it's always something bit and goes into a bunch of cliched catchphrases. So a little bit about Roseanne. The character is said to be inspired by ABC New York anchor Roseanne Scamardella. I'm not sure if that's really the case beyond the name because there doesn't seem to be too much similarity. A lot of these were written by Gilda with uh, Alan Zweibel the letters that are sent in to Roseanne are actually sent in from not actually are sent in from someone named Richard Fetter of Fort Lee, New Jersey, who is the brother-in-law of Alan Zwei Bell. Roseanne goes on to be probably for some, definitely for, for some uh, Gilda's most memorable character. And uh, the Rolling Stones list I, I talked about before, they rank her as number 40 on the 40th best characters. 
So let's talk weekend update as a whole, and then we'll go into Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. It's kind of interesting, Matt. I know that uh, it's your mother's favorite character, and here we had uh, Adrian's dad's favorite sketch last time Adrian was here with the little chocolate donuts. So uh, love to hear what you thought of update and the first real Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. Update is uh, it's coming along a little. It's uh, it was wretched at the start of season three. There was like some tankers, like one after another after another. Uh, but a couple of uh, weekend updates ago. It, was a little more passable and last week's i i enjoyed okay the guest bits were getting a little better and absolutely right my mother debbie roseanne rosanna dana she i remember her talking about it all the time when i was a kid she absolutely loves it i loved it too uh, i thought gilda was so good at it it's such a good character i totally believe it's based on a real person uh there's just uh, and especially when you said that name i was like Oh my god, I gotta look that up. Uh, seems awfully on the nose. I still hate that they wear the WU buttons. And I still don't like Dan Aykroyd doing this. Uh, he doesn't fit for me. Jane's a little more comfortable. Again, whoever's doing her hair today, mm, good job. Uh, it's so big and flowy in 1978. And, uh, you know, the jokes are okay. It's picking up a bit. I, I don't really like, you know, the Carter jokes didn't do anything for me. The Generally, the political jokes of the time fall pretty flat with me, which is fine. It's to be expected from a segment like this. But overall, it wasn't great, but I would definitely give it a pass. My favorite part was that regardless of the character Gilda seems to be playing, uh, Jane has very little patience for her. <laughs> <laughs> I love Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. It's also my mother's favorite character. <laughs> oh, that's neat. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, the toenail in the hamburger is a running joke in my house. Well, not this house, the one I grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, but every time my mom made hamburgers, if anyone made like a face, she's like, did you get the toenail? <laughs> and it was just something that was always the joke about hamburgers. So to have to have this in the weekend update today was delicious, but not like a toenail. <laughs> we now go to short people. And this is Randy Newman singing his, uh, at that point, probably his biggest song. It was released on Little Criminals. It hit number two. I like the song. I like short people. I think it's a funny song, and I'll go into it in a bit. Nice touch during the show where the background singers, who were all members of the Dirt Band, lowered their mics and got on their knees to sing. I hate Randy Newman. <laughs> really? This I is do. a shocker to me. I know. And I especially hate short people, but that's okay. So I'll, just, I'll leave that at that. Okay. So after he finishes Short People, he uh, sings along with the, the, the members of the Dirt Band. Riders in the Rain was also on Little Criminals. Doesn't look like it was ever released as a single. It's sort of a throwback to the old singing cowboy western theme deal. It was fine if you're into that. Actually, no, because I'm into that sort of stuff. And I, I don't know. This is probably one of the most forgettable things Randy Newman has done on the show. So I just want to give a little bit about Short People. It hit number two. Like a lot of songs of the period, it was written from the point of view of another person as a satirical shot at prejudice and discrimination. But it seems as the case is fairly regular these days, and certainly back then people misconstrued it. Controversy got really intense. People were offended that this six-foot-tall man hated short people so much. The intensity got so strong that in Maryland... To ban the song from playing on the radio, Newman got death threats, boycotts, and all that stuff. So he takes a minute in between the two songs to uh, respond to the people and who are stirring the controversy by blowing a raspberry in the mic. I kind of enjoyed, you know, seeing that 
no matter how much things change, there's still a lot that's the same. Um, but this is obviously not a vicious attack against short people. Matter of fact, it was only yesterday. I always assumed Randy Newman himself was short. I only found out he was six feet the other day. I'm five one. I am short people, but that's not why I hate the song. It's just a bad song. (laughs) I knew the real meaning and still didn't feel the song was good enough to justify the controversy (laughs) or the like. (laughs) And maybe I just have a rational hatred towards the short people song, but oh, buddy, mm-hmm. it's way down there for me. Randy Newman sucks. Woo! F- fucking imagine getting offended by Randy Newman, the most PG, white bread, boring ass, schmaltzy, stupidly earnest composer. Randy Newman is absolutely my least favorite like if i'm in a room with paul simon and randy newman and i got one bullet i just shoot myself it's (laughs) this the 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 music itself is so schmaltzy there's nothing interesting about it whatsoever it is absolutely radio schlocky music randy newman's voice is irritating like he's not a powerful singer i'm sure he knows that you know bob dylan's not a powerful singer leonard cohen wasn't a powerful singer but at least these guys weren't out here writing songs that sound like novelty comedy hits this is a terrible terrible song it's like on the simpsons where they had that bit about randy newman just singing about things he sees it's all yeah, it family, it's family guy but that's it's exactly guy? okay yeah. whatever it was that's all I think uh, of with Randy Newman, and I can't even watch Toy Story because I hate him so much. I don't mind Randy Newman. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> There's actually two or three songs that are kind of important, like not important, but that I really like. Short People's one of them, but I, I totally agree with what you say. And actually, so does Randy Newman. He, rev- he, he doesn't particularly speak highly of short people these days or has for a while and sees it as exactly what you said, Matt, a, a novelty song. We now go to Family Feud, and this was most likely written by Dan Aykroyd and Tom Davis. I think it was actually written by them. Um, Bill Murray comes out as Richard Dawson, and uh, it's a pretty good Richard Dawson impression throughout. So Steve, Gilda, and John come out as the Mel family. Steve is a romaine lettuce vendor, um, and their opponents are the Coneheads. So there's a great first reaction as these guys come out. Uh, Bill goes through the uh, intros, including French kissing Connie. They jump right into the game, and the first question is, name something people like to bite. The Mel's win the toss-up, and it goes to the Coneheads. Primat says, organically enacted meat or vegetable matter between two starch planes, which of course is a sandwich, and they get some points. Connie says, one of my biggest laughs in a while on the show, things people like to bite, the big one. It then goes to Beldar, and he says, trapeze. Beldar is far worse at this game than his daughter and wife are. Incidentally, I thought this was excellently done and extremely funny. I love that they took the Coneheads out of their living room and dropped them into a weird earth setting. thought it was very smart at the evolution of the characters at this point. As far as the feud, I thought it was a great parody. Um, I mean, Bill was great uh, for what Steve and Gilda and uh, Belushi had to do. They were fine. Um, And I always like when 
they marry things together. Like they could have had another conehead sketch in the living room, random family feud. I like how they slap things together. And I mean, they do it with celebrity jeopardy later and even things like Carcinio and the little Richard Simmons show, which we'll see later. I also really get a kick out of Jane and Lorraine's conehead open mouth smile that they do, but uh, I've never seen Beldar do it. All things considered, I thought this was excellent. I really, really enjoyed this laugh through the whole thing and admired how, in that small studio, they could recreate the Family Feud set as well as they did. I agree. I thought this was awesome. Excellent sketch for me. Bill Murray does do a good Richard Doss. I like when he keeps pursing his lips when people are talking, like, hmm, hmm, in that smug, condescending way. Uh, I wish he'd, like, combed his hair a little or something like he, he, he there was like no clearly no effort to make him look like richard dawson which is fine uh he he really pulled it off with an, with enough of the mannerisms and the kissing uh belushi was really good too as the frustrated son uh like a, a nice low-key supporting uh role for him here the obsession with romaine lettuce i thought was hilarious <laughs> like everything was just tracking so well it was just so well written and this is I didn't even guess to the fucking stars of the sketch. Uh, They're so good. I love their open mouth smiles. Oh my God. Uh, Beldar sucks at family feud, but I have no idea why Beldar would play fast money. It's just the stupidest. I really liked when he answered. I forget what the question was. What do you eat with something? Fiberglass. (laughs) Something you bite. Something you bite, a trapeze. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jane continues. Jane's my favorite conehead. There's something about what she does with her voice and the the blank stare that her eyes can give and that she's like so pleasantly between the two. She's not as far out as uh, Dan and she's not nearly as grounded as Lorraine, Connie. Uh, And it's just, yeah, they play their characters perfectly and I, I don't, I've never, the only, I didn't like that conehead sketch where they went back to the home planet and like Belushi and Garrett were there. I thought that was really dumb. I also wanted to add one more thing. Uh, just, this is just to jump back to another sketch for a second. When, when we were watching the Czech brothers, you said Belushi was really good at it. I hated him doing that. I fucking hated Belushi in that sketch. It was so tacked on. Just like when they tacked on that shit in the conehead sketch. Like when you have people doing characters and they're doing it well, you can't just shove another cast member into the role like, hey, you go be one. It doesn't work. And uh, I mean, it doesn't work for me anyway. I, I think it's really hokey. It's very like Adipucci. Uh mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> the set looked great. Everybody killed their role. Excellent, excellent sketch. Yeah, it was great. Even before the Conehead showed up, and it was still funny when they were going on about romaine lettuce. Yeah, yeah. You're not even at the Coneheads yet, so it was it was really good. So the Rolling Stone list of the best sketches ranks this. Actually, it's the highest ranked Conehead sketch, which I'm not sure I agree with, but it's the 31st. It's number 31 on their best SNL sketches. I should also mention, too, I've been a little neglectful on these lists, but the Judy Miller sketch. Do you remember that one, Matt? The Judy Miller show. Gilda was the brownie in her room. It was from the Charles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. That's number 18 on that list. And that's well-deserved. I thought that was brilliant. That is brilliant. And that does sound well-reserved. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I hate Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, yeah. No. And totally. I'm I'm it's, it's very of the time. And this list will come out again in two years and it'll be completely different. 
We now go to what if, and this is the first in a short, there's a few of these actually, I think there's about four or five. So we have Jane as Joan Cage, not Joan Face. She hosts a show where they respond to random questions sent in from audience members, where they answer historical what if questions. Today's question is what if Napoleon had a B-52 bomber at Waterloo? Garrett plays Julius Carruthers, a history graduate from Howard U. Bill plays Colonel Ray Egghart, a retired Air Force general. Garrett notes that Napoleon's luck had run out at Waterloo. Bill says that Napoleon would have loved to use the B-52, and a aircraft like the B-52 would have been very effective. They show a dramatic reenactment of the possibility of Napoleon having had a B-52. Belushi comes out as Napoleon. Lorraine plays Josephine. Napoleon thinks his luck runs out until Martin comes in as, a, as an aide to tell Napoleon that they have found a B-52. Napoleon decides to use it. We then cut to aboard the B-52 where Dan is, is there. It's, I think it's a control room or one of the tech rooms of the show. But he's joined by Napoleon and jo- Josephine. He explains a few things about the, uh, the the B-52 bomber and how it works. And then he drops a bomb. We then go back to a wrap-up from Joan. I get a good laugh. She asks Garrett and Bill for their final thoughts. Garrett says, I didn't prepare any. And Bill sums up the ceremony. Again, this was really, really funny. It's a nice piece using the whole cast. You know, there's probably several like YouTube or Netflix or Tubi shows that are precisely this. Like, what if they have these things like what if a tiger fought an alligator and stuff? So mm-hmm. if it's not uh, if it's not in production yet, let's get it in production, Matt. You know, what if? So I really enjoyed this. Quite good. As we've seen before on shows that I've gotten to be the third chair on, I'm a sucker for any of the historical reenactment type things, and this was no exception. The idea of Napoleon finding a B-52 with the six crew members and all its payload, beautiful and just nicely executed. (sighs) Not with yous. Not with yous. Liked Jane, was optimistic. Then they go into this Napoleon stuff. I thought it was really stupid. You got it like all these cool costumes, and your joke is that Napoleon finds a warplane. I just didn't think it was funny. Maybe I hit the bong an extra couple of times and it's gonna seem hilarious, but it just it did not land for me. I watched it over my lunch beans today at the office, and it wasn't um it did not speak to me in that environment. And I really don't think it would speak to me in this environment right now. Because I mean it's no secret to the thousands i loosen up before the show we have a chiron a woman is hyperventilating we now go to our gary weiss film and it's steve martin driving around bel-air looking for the homes of famous people he buys a star map from a woman who is embarrassed that she can't remember his name and he introduces himself as george carlin and she laughs steve goes to the houses of jerry lewis debbie boone sonny bono where a caretaker comes out and steve thinks it's sunny ray Kroc, carl and carl reiner Steve actually gets to Carl Reiner's front door and knocks on it. He then goes to a house that has a German shepherd in the yard. He says it's Rin Tin Tin's house. Um, This didn't do it for me. Uh, I kind of like Sonny Bono. He was Steve wrote for Sonny Bono. He wrote with Carl Reiner. I sort of expected one of them to stick their head out and tell him to F off or something. But um, no, this didn't do it for me. Actually, I I thought this was a rather weak and and nothing special in there. Uh, I agree. Uh, I thought this was pretty bad. And I just didn't really think there were any jokes there. I, I don't know what it was, but it was, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. It was Steve Martin shouting at houses. Yep. I did get one little laugh when he started hollering to Ray Kroc and he's like, hey, Kroc, 
Hey, Croc. That was the only thing I laughed at. Yeah, that was pretty good. I, I really liked I liked him yelling at country. And I, oh my god, I would be remiss if I uh, didn't mention the lady, the, the lady that sold him the map. She was like, she was the star of the sketch for me. So that were you surprised that they were doing star map sales back in 1977? It would have been not really. Okay, I was. I totally thought that was an 80s, 90s thing. Like. I was shocked it was that old. I assumed that was eternal. You know what? You're probably right. It probably actually was eternal. Like, that's probably been going on since Hollywood. But I don't know. For some reason, I just it struck me as something that was more recent. We now go to a Chiron, and this man is allergic to comedy. And this man is named Andrew Gold, singer-songwriter, uh, musician. He was Lorraine Newman's boyfriend at the time. Gold, of course, very proficient singer and uh, songwriter. He wrote uh, Thank You for Being a Friend, later used by the Golden Girls, Spooky Scary Skeletons, Lonely Boy, and Never Let Her Get Away, which he actually wrote for Lorraine. Uh, he's another one of these favorite songwriters, favorite songwriters, Matt. I'm not familiar. Not even with Spooky Scary Skeletons? It's a Halloween staple. Yeah, it's only a recent one, though, isn't it? It's like within the last 10 years or something, it snuck out, isn't it? Like, it's been around forever, but... I only know it because of the kids. Yeah, but, same here. Yeah. <laughs> classic we now go to white russia so the dirt band actually john McEwen of the dirt band wrote this during a tour of russia they were one of the first american bands to play a tour in the in the ussr or something like that they had some distinction of that sort steve sits in with the band on banjo i i wrote here that he's immediately upstaged by his mentor john McEwen, uh although he does redeem himself later this is an instrumental song it goes from like banjo to saxophone to harmonica to clarinet for me this was uh, this was amazing this my jaw dropped because it starts as this country bluegrass and slowly goes into something with like a eastern european flavor i really enjoyed this blown away by it thought it was fantastic this song is phenomenal my notes are as follows bitch and banjo work sax guy's killing it harmonica fella he's doing his thing Sax guy's also the clarinet guy, and now he's two recorders guy. <laughs> Definitely my favorite song of the evening. The, uh, yeah, Captain Woodwinds was amazing. Uh, <laughs> two recorders at once. And I, you know what? I like the clarinet. I think it's a pleasant sound. Uh -huh. um, I find it very relaxing. Uh, and even when played properly, I don't like the banjo. I don't like it. I don't like how it sounds. It's just... It's, it just sounds like deliverance. I can never separate them again. That's just, that's a me thing, I guess. But I will never not think of deliverance. So, uh, good nights with his banjo, Stephen. Uh, Stephen with his banjo, Steve. Thanks everyone for the night. Just generic uh, good nights from what I could see. Yeah, me too. Lorraine looked like she was drying her hair, though, possibly to get ready to go out after being a conehead. Well, her boyfriend was there. Because he's the spooky, scary skeletons fella. Yeah, they're going to the studio. At this point, they might be going to Belushi and Aykroyd's uh, Blues Club they had. Let's rate this episode. So the host, to me, this was Steve Martin's best show to date, bar none. To me, he came out, he gave it his all. Again, blended perfectly with the cast. Partook in some musical performances that was excellent and, and, and you know, sheer musician, musicianship, not comedy. Uh, strong monologue, I thought. He's in everything, but he's rarely front and center in the sketches, which I really kind of admired. You know, he disappeared into the ensemble and worked well, and I thought he, he really brought his A-game tonight. I, I was really pleased with Steve Martin. What about you guys? Yeah, he fit in just perfectly. He was the main in a couple of sketches, but not too many. I love the nitty-gritty dirt band, so having him playing with them, that was great. Yeah, I thought he was 
He was fab. Can't really complain about Steve Martin, except for the monologue. I didn't like the monologue. I thought that was pretty bad. But otherwise, I mean, it, it, it would be fair to blame him for some of the writing I didn't like. You know, he takes part uh, in that kind of business, like the, those Czechoslovakian brothers. I, I didn't really care for that, how that sketch was written, but it's neither here nor there. But he did fine. Yeah, he, he's great with the cast. I, you know, as I said, the first time he hosted when I was a kid or just even a younger person teenager i used to think he was just a cast member that yep. he had just been on the show uh but of course he was only ever a host he brought it you're right he brought it good job steve uh-huh. so the music for me 50 50 first off dirt band excellent musicians and performers didn't like on the loose at all except for the the tail end white russia blew me away really liked it and it was a musical wow moment for me uh just the way it uh it, it sort of took me around the world there uh, Randy Newman, I like short people, and I'll be honest, I admire him for playing it live on TV at the height of this controversy. I think that was pretty ballsy of a guy who we could certainly accuse of not being that ballsy over the years. Uh, Riders in the Rain, not for me at all. Um, but I think the biggest issue for me with the, the bad music tonight was just song selection rather than performer. I love the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and they, the way they did White Russia was phenomenal. So. I'm I'm pleased with the music because I'm just pretending Randy Newman didn't happen. You can't trust people. People like shit. Think, look at how many albums Jennifer Lopez has sold. People like fucking garbage. And so whatever. Fuck people. Uh, but the, the music was pretty bad for me across the board, which is probably why I'm coming in so hot about it. Uh, I didn't I would never listen to any of this again. I might listen to White Russia or White Russian or whatever the hell it was called because it was, you know, it was nice and fast paced. So I didn't have to listen to anybody sing, which was pleasant. And uh, you're right, Katie, your, your description of the song, how it kind of flows from one kind of thing to another kind of thing. That was really cool. Uh, so I'd probably listen to that again. But as far as the music goes, all I can think about is how much I hate Randy Newman. And I really didn't care for the other Dirt Band performance rotten episode for me as far as the music goes. So what was the worst sketch or comic segment of the night? The body floss as my worst of the night, but I didn't hate it. I just liked other things a lot better. My least favorite of the night is What If with uh, the Napoleon thing and the B-52. Uh, you know, clever premise. I was excited to see Jane as the straight woman. And then it was just fucking stupid joke that is it's like a stoner humor or something, uh, which, I don't know. It wasn't absurdist. It wasn't clever. It was just like, oh, yeah, Napoleon gets a plane. Uh, I thought it was lazy. I appreciated the costumes, but there, there was nothing there for me. Nothing. For me, I actually went with the Gary Weiss film. Um, I enjoyed a lot of this show. That was the lowest point, partially by default, but also because like it was Steve Martin unleashed with a camera in Bel Air, and that's what you gave us. I usually avoid picking updates and monologues, although I have. So, I mean, this was the flattest for me. Most other nights, though, this probably wouldn't have even been in contention. I'm very much like, like Adrian here. It's like I liked a lot of this show, so this is kind of like... This this uh, Gary Weiss film would probably be middle of the pack on any other show. So what was the best for the night? Family Feud, I thought was the best of the night. Absolutely Family Feud. Uh, I think it's the best sketch I've seen this season. I loved it. Everybody killed it. It was so well written. Uh, home run. Home run of a sketch. And we have a sweep. Um, we don't get too many of these. Uh, again, Family Feud. I mean, 
how awesome was it? And everybody was great. And even like the cross-stitch painted background for the sign that was yeah. like the old family feud, like mm, loved it. And we haven't had a good sweep since uh, Steve Martin's last episode where it was that Franken and Davis beauty pageant, Matt, that we all loved. Yeah, that was good. I did love that. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we have, uh, let's see here. Yeah, three three thumbs up for Family Feud. I, I didn't think that was a mystery, although at one point I, I was toying with the Fest Drunk Brothers, but when I really thought of it. I do have to mention, though, I think the thing, biggest thing I laughed at tonight I don't know if you've even noticed it. Uh, after the Fest Drunk Brothers sketch ended, um, Garrett and they all ran off stage and Garrett ran off with the shirt still covering his face. Yeah, it was good. Who was your star of the night? That would have to be my girl, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana. Gilda crushed it tonight. Um, I'm going to give an honorable mention to Jane, though, because she was back to being awesome. Jane was my favorite this evening. Uh, she was the only thing I liked about What If, which I thought was wretched. She was she she started to come around and update. I love her yelling at Gilda, regardless of the character. She just can't stand her. She was great in the Czechoslovakian brother episode. Uh, I'll never remember their name, and I will permanently refer to them as the Czechoslovakian brothers. Just saying. Um, yeah, she's my favorite conehead, and I love Jane. It's my vote. I can do what I want with it. It was Jane. Everyone was all in tonight, and this was like such an ensemble show. I just appreciated seeing a little bit of everyone. I did, however, go with Dan Aykroyd. I thought he was the busiest by far, and he did so well in so many things. So we get his Jimmy Carter, we get his Beldar, we get uh, Fest Drunk, and a bit of techno babble in the Napoleon sketch, and actually marked improvement and update. Overall, so when people shit on Matt and I for being cranky about some crappy episodes of SNL, I think it's episodes like this that they're remembering. Strong writing, strong performances, ton of energy, and most importantly for me, an ensemble piece where everyone has something to do. A lot of people brought out their A game, and uh, their sort of in-the-pocket list of characters is growing. Like, we saw a lot of A material tonight that you think of from the, the period. You think of, like, all these characters. And yet, when you think of what was missing, it's it's like this big backlog. Like, we didn't see Baba Wawa. We didn't see Emily Latella. We didn't see Tom Snyder. We didn't see Nick. We didn't see Samurais. We didn't see Bees. So, for me, this episode, it was like all, these new, all this new stuff or stuff that they haven't been pulling out as much has been created, and it'll go on to be iconic. This episode, for me, I don't know what it was, but there was something about the layout of the sketches for me that each one was almost like so different from the one before it that it was, it was like the perfect complement. Maybe it's the break. Maybe people worked over the break, really put some thought about it. Maybe the new blood in the writer's room did it. Um, but I just thought, this episode was smartly written. There was not much cheapness that wasn't meant to be silly. Production values were high and the performers were great. The negative aspects of the show for me were the probably the Weiss film and a couple of the music choices. Um, I waffled on this one, but I am sitting at an 8.5 because the music really kind of let me down across the board. I gave it an 8. And for pretty much all the same reasons as you, um... The eights because of Randy Newman, and I hate him. So that's why I'm lower than you. But it was fabulous. I mean, it had Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. It had the two wild and crazy guys. It had the cone heads. What more can you ask? I, I can ask for a lot more. <laughs> I, I can ask for relevant music. Yeah, okay. But, you know, you're going to say, okay, okay, timeout, timeout, timeout. 
I know what you're thinking. Randy Newman is like the number one album in the country. I don't get to say I want relevant music. I'm going to walk that back. I apologize. But I can want hip music. This is not hip music. You know, I would argue with somebody, and I'm sure there are many among the thousands that would love to argue with me, and that's fine. I didn't like the cold open, and I didn't like the monologue. Uh, and then we had a rerun of a commercial, which I also don't appreciate. There was, you know, Weekend Update was okay. Coneheads were fantastic. It really carried the show for me because, I mean, what else? We had the Bigfoot sketch. That was pretty funny. That, that was silly. Uh, some good classic SNL. That last song was pretty good. Way too much music uh, on this episode, though. I find your guys' ratings just shockingly high. Uh, I really thought the music dragged this down. What If was a letdown. That Gary Weiss uh, film was bad. Yeah, other than Family Feud, like, what does this episode offer me? It's just okay. I'm going to go ahead and give this episode 5.5. Ouch. So with my 8.5, Adrian's 8 and Matt's 5.5. See, he does put more weight on the music. <laughs> <laughs> we wind up with a 7.3, which is still really reasonable for this season. It's actually ranked so far as our second highest episode. The fine folks over at the IMDb give it a 7.7. .7, so we're a lot closer to that than we usually are. They rank it as the fifth best episode of the season, 74th best to date. I think that's all reasonable based on what we've seen so far and what we're going to see. We could say that Randy Newman was the toenail in the hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> Matt would say probably more than that. The whole foot in there, a whole thumb. Um, yeah, so uh, Steve Martin, Randy Newman, definitely an improvement for me with Steve Martin, an improvement for, me, for you, Matt, from his last appearance. So, Adrian, thank you so much for coming back. We will see you again. Uh, episode 16 of this year, if not before. Hooray. Thanks again for having me, guys. I love it. Thank you. It was great to have you again. Love your perspective. And I like that this time around, we weren't completely on the same page about everything. Exactly. It makes it sound like I'm less of a plant. <laughs> so, Matt, next week we come back with episode 10. Do you know who's hosting and who the uh, musical guest is? Uh, I heard during the credits. Is it Robert Klein? Yes, it is Robert Klein coming back. Uh, you're uh, the man you once referred to as perfectly mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> back in season one and the musical guest is bonnie Raitt. bonnie Raitt. how do you feel about bonnie Raitt? uh bonnie Raitt has some really good songs i'm looking forward to bonnie Raitt. we've never talked about bonnie Raitt, you and i but this is one i knew you wouldn't shit on for some reason yeah no i i respect bonnie Raitt. so matt and i'll be back in about a week with episode 10 robert klein bonnie Raitt. but until then we'll be playing the feud here in sn hill <laughs>